Talkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 22. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. Reason Magazine described this episode's guest as, quote, America's top black Christian anarcho-capitalist rap metal artist. So naturally, I wanted to have him on No Prize from God to tell me his story. I first became aware of Eric July via an op-ed for Loudwire.com. In the piece, he elaborates on the lyric, When a cop shoots a black man, you focus on the racism, ignoring all the statism. From his band Backwards, a group that combines modern metalcore with hip-hop, with a higher caliber of lyrical skill than the vast majority of the rap-rock genre. Eric July has been seen and heard on right-leaning media outlets like Fox News and The Blaze, but he doesn't cape for any political party. He's not even an official member of the Libertarian Party. As he told the Dallas Observer, his beliefs don't boil down to wanting to quote smoke weed, conspiracy theories, and inside jobs. A self-described voluntarist, Christian anarchist, and commentator, Eric is a former member of the band Fire from the Gods, and has detailed many of his beliefs in backward songs like Self-Ownership, Elitist, and my personal favorite, Statheist. Like every guest on No Prize from God, I may not agree with every single thing Eric has to say, and I'm sure he wouldn't agree with every single thing I have to say either. But we have a sincere synergy about a great many things, and I hope you enjoy this conversation even half as much as I did. Remember, the best way you can support this podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. You can visit No Prize From God at noprizefromgod.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And be sure to check out past episodes with great guests like Jesse Leach of Killswitch Engage, Episcopalian priest Broderick Greer, Integrity frontman Dwight Hellion, author Michelle T, Mina Caputo of Life of Agony, Dustin Kensru of Thrice, Karen Crisis of Gospel of the Witches, Max Cavalera of Sepultura, and many, many more. So here it is, my conversation with Eric July. This is No Prize from God. surrounded by um you know i grew up in the church let's let's start there that was my first exposure to music 
that was really my first exposure to um just being among people spiritual spiritually um and having some sort of connectivity there and that dates back again to when i was just old enough to even remember um grew up most on the methodist methodist church um my family on my mom's side was uh they're from arkansas um so i i experienced you know when i was back in dallas was born and raised in dallas texas our church there and then going to the more uh more tight-knit churches in arkansas and having that experience and my uncle my mom's sister uh, is a piano player. Um, so he ran the choir uh, for the church and so forth. And, you know, when I'd be out there for the summers, I didn't like it at the time. Uh, but grandma was making me sing in the choir mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and stuff like that. So that was my experience first being introduced to just just music and and, uh, and to have it combined with, uh, you know, the gospel was just sort of did it what did it for me but i always point to an album that had sort of it wasn't a necessarily a christian album but it did have some sort of element of uh, uh some elements of it and that was lauren hill's um the miseducation album yeah you know yep and that i remember hearing that i could i had to be in this i was 98 so i was about seven or eight wasn't that old and I remember hearing that my mother had the cassette and I remember hearing that. And I was like, I want to do that because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that she was singing, but she was rapping too. And she has so many different elements, stuff that I kind of hear in the church. Um, but also just some of the, st- it was just so good to my ears at that time. And I decided at that point, that I wanted to be a musician in some capacity. Right. And obviously with me singing in the church, it started with the vocals. That was, that was my thing. So going up to probably when I was eh, maybe I recorded my first rap song, I think I was 13. Um, so you're looking about 2002, 2003 ish. Um, and before then I would like start like we, you know, going up in the city, uh, freestyling and stuff at like lunch tables, rap stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That, that sort of stuff is what we did. I had a buddy of mine who I still keep in connect with, um, who had moved from like Tyler, Texas, and he had moved to, you know, Dallas area. And, you know, we had connected cause we lived in the same neighborhood. Um, and he was like, Hey man, don't you come over? I can record us rapping. I was like, okay. And I did it. And from then on, I kind of grew among people that heard me spit. And I always separated because, again, it's funny. I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. And, yeah, I grew up listening to UGK and, you know, on that rap stuff, you know, yeah. Swish a House. I, th- I, I, think about, I think about Texas and I think about rap Ghetto a lot. Boys. Rap a lot and Ghetto Boys. Yeah, yeah. rap a yeah, yeah, all of that Scarface. stuff. Scarface. You know, yeah. Right. I, I grew up on all of that, uh, DSR in Dallas and stuff. I grew up on all of that. But as far as my influence came from, it was all like, you know, my favorite rapper, you know, most of the, uh, you know, was it was Chameleon there, which is Houston. But outside of that, it was all like Midwest and, and East Coast. Nas, mm. M, Royce the Five Nine, uh, you know, obviously Lauren Hill and, and, and stuff like that. So I had a passion for lyricism. Mm-hmm. 
stringing up bars and being able to say something while also being able to have a decent rhyme scheme. And that separated me from a lot of how folks rapped out where I was at. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got a name for myself going up and I was a knucklehead, man. Like I I, want to be very clear about that. Even growing up in a church, fortunately father wasn't around um, by the time I got to that age where somebody needed to probably tame me. And I grew up banging and did all of that stuff uh, being a just complete knucklehead uh, growing up. And, but I was, uh, you know, one of the more known teenage rappers in the in DFW, um, during, during that era, me and my, me and my buddy Jay Dunn, and we, you know, we dropped these rap songs and all that came with a, it came with a lot of garbage, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we go perform songs and I saw how it impacted people. We had a song called bring the beef. And I don't think I ever performed that and, 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 fights didn't break out and i'm not talking about like like you know at a hardcore show or so i'm talking about like people beating each other up literally um and i was like man what am i doing right so so but i did have a friend and i want to backtrack just a little bit i did have a friend by the name of tyler who had introduced me to um to like um more of the like rock element stuff my mother was a had a very diverse background so i knew when my first my, even prior to the whole Lauren Hill thing, my first exposure to hearing rap stuff mixed with mixed with like rock was Beastie Boys. You know oh, what wow. I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and that was me hearing that. I was like, man, that's pretty. That's pretty pretty cool. And you know how you remember Run DMC had that deal mm-hmm. there. You know all that stuff. I thought that was stuff was very cool. And my mother would jam here and there, classic rock stuff, uh, and and but you know still Motown, all of that stuff was the core soul music was the core of what I listened to. My buddy Tyler had introduced me to some of the more, you know, elements of, you know, the the hardcoreish uh, elements, punk metal, and stuff like that. And I was coming up in that age where you think about the music that was coming out between like '97. In 2001, so mm-hmm. that's talk. You're talking Lincoln Park, System of a Down, um, you know, all of those guys were coming up. Slipknot, all those guys were coming up during that during that period of time, and I was exposed to it, but I didn't perform it. And I thought it was, you know, I'm a brother. That's not really what we do, you know. Um, and I had the rap thing going on, so I so I kept up with that. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it wasn't until I got to college. Um, and I think a lot of that comes with the spiritual growth as well as the ec- philosophical growth that I had as well. Cause you, you know, just as fun, I just told the story to my lady about how, you know, I was been again banging my, when I started to go the opposite way and realize what I was, that what I was doing was stupid senior year of high school. And I was hanging out with, with uh, my girlfriend at the time and uh, outside of, you know, she was a basketball athlete. I was a track and field athlete. And, you know, outside, you know, we would just chill before I go to practice and stuff like that. Well, some guys that obviously didn't look like me ran up, uh, like in their car, right on me. I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and that whole scene, it flipped a switch in my head. Like, okay, what I'm doing is being a detriment, not to myself, just to myself. It's one thing for me to just run up on it wasn't nothing for me to fight four or five guys at the same time that was like another day in the books for me but putting someone else in jeopardy in their life in jeopardy that had absolutely nothing to do with it Hmm. and it was a it was a rude awakening for me and i was like this is not what i should be doing and slowly but surely going into college and it all 
couples with my philosophical growth, right? Learning about, you know, because I was a, I grew up on the more left side of the uh, economic spectrum. And that makes sense. You know, parents, you know, family, Democrats, so forth. That's what that's just what I knew. Mm-hmm. And then stumble on, upon the likes of Dr. Walter E. Williams, Thomas Sowell, and reading some of their work completely changed my economics of everything. Then I got to learning more about the economic ends and obviously growing into libertarianism. And then also that allowed me to, because you think about what libertarian is, libertarianism is non-aggression. These are things that are very, you think will go hand in hand with uh, Christianity mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. So I got back connected to all of that and, it, you know, as I becoming sort of uh, comfortable in my own skin, that's when it was like, hey, I practice kind of on the low key screaming and singing that type of stuff that I had never that I had never done publicly. Um, maybe with my bros or something like that, you know, I might have, you know, doing some rap rock stuff here and there. That was cool. What we did growing up because I did do some rap, you know, kind of rap rocky bands, but not like straight up metalcore, hardcore stuff, not any of that. And going into college, it started to grow. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. See what happens. Started putting vocal covers on, on YouTube and it was off to the races then. Oh, wow. That, that, that That's only, that's exciting to me to hear that that develops into, cause I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a little bit different generation. So, you know, we didn't, I didn't have the access to the YouTube cover world. Right. But it's cool to hear that that, you know, and you're starting to hear about that more and more, like established bands looking for a new guitar player or a new drummer, and they found somebody on YouTube or, you know, or even going back to Journey when they replaced Steve Perry. Yeah. I think that was, you know, they found that dude on the internet. Like, yeah. um, it's cool to know, you know, as the, as the means of production have become more accessible and more ubiquitous that you can, you know, you don't have to know somebody who knows somebody who can book studio time and get, you know, you can just make a video and put it up and somebody can hear it and go, oh, that guy can do this. We're starting a band. Let's, let's see if he wants to be in it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, the beauty of it. And, uh, that's like exactly what happened with me. Um, I had some common friends with my previous band, Fire from the Gods. Um, and, uh, they had stumbled up across some of my stuff and it was like, all right, he's local. Why do we, why don't we get him in? And, um, you know, did some stuff, started doing some shows and there it was. And then, you know, from then, you know, obviously leaving that forming backwards, um, it, it would, it, and that, I kept that sort of mindset and we have, like you said, a lot of access, previous generations didn't have that. I'm a young guy. I'm a, I, j- I literally just turned 30. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a younger guy, but I grew up in this generation of having access to, you know, the YouTubes of the world and then seeing, the Spotify's and the, the, all of that sort of come up where it was giving us means to upload our audio mm-hmm. to the same things that we see, the people that are on TV, the yeah. music videos and so forth. We were able to put our stuff on there. And, um, it's a more, I mean, ghost like it's funny. We talk about libertarianism and decentralization and stuff like that. That's basically what it, what mm-hmm. ended up happening. Really, mm-hmm. the industry is still trying to adjust it. It's the industry still doesn't know how to, uh, read like streams, how much is going to count towards an app. They're still trying to figure this, figure yep. this stuff out. Um, as far as how it impacts. And we, you know, we came up in it and, you know, backwards, we were so 
hell bent on just just making sure that we look, man, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And, you know, we want to own our ma- uh, masters more. So we want to own our publishing. We want to be able to do all this stuff and the stuff that we can do more so in our own capacity with us coming up with the second album and we're going to self-release it and stuff like that. That's stuff that was unheard of back back then. You you had to go through you had to be corporate. You know, you had to go through the means to really make this happen to people listen. And now I can just upload it at a click of a finger mm-hmm. and I can get thousands of people to listen to it because things have become more decentralized and the power more so is in, in the possession of people um, if they can do something right with it. So it's uh, I, I I don't. Yes, I worked hard. I did all that. But some of this was a certain circumstance. You know what I mean? And right. The technological advancement and stuff like that just happened to be happening at the same time that I was growing up. And mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, here we are. Uh, you know, it's funny. Just literally a couple hours ago, I did a panel via Zoom with a couple of a couple of managers in the music business and uh, a, a woman who teaches a music business course at USC and uh, a friend of mine who works at E1 records. Anyway, we, we were, it was, the panel was all about data and all about all these metrics and all these different ways to see how people are consuming music and what's effective about your marketing campaign and your release plan and all of that and how to, how to utilize that data. And yeah, I mean, the thing that kept coming up in that conversation was how much this stuff is constantly evolving how much catch up is still being played with, with trying to figure it out. So I, I, you know, there was such an emphasis for the vast majority of the history of recorded music on got to get a deal, got to get signed, you know? And if anything, that, that that's just been turned completely on its head, whether it's established bands negotiating to get their masters back, you know, I, uh, as a, as a manager, I represent the band Throwdown for many years now, and we were able to get the masters to most of their catalog within the last couple of years. And just seeing immediately getting that stuff back up on streaming, seeing the revenue that comes in. And it's not, I mean, you know, this is a band that has been an active touring band in 10 years, but there's still people that are listening to their music. And it was just like going from those, ridiculous statements from record companies to just seeing the money that flows in from just Spotify is like, Oh my gosh, you know, like we, everyone should be doing this. And, and then there's, you know, there are certainly labels that do have smart people there and provide great services. If you enter into the right deals and know how to take advantage of them. I mean, one, uh, you know, worked with the band demon hunter for the last 15 years and, we a couple of times we've been with the same record label since the jump and ryan clark the singer his band before that was on the same label and his band before that one when he was 18 years old was on the label so he's long relationship there but it's come up now solid state what is that yeah yeah Yeah, that's what i figured yeah yeah, i think fifth king is there my guys over there yes if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh so you know we, we demon hunter's been there for their entire career, but at various points, it's come up for us to be, um, to renew our deal, right? Like our deal expires and then we renew it. Well, I was able to negotiate something the last time around. And this is obviously you can leverage this when you're, when you have yeah, a, a deep catalog and you're established. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I've never said this publicly before, but uh, we negotiated a deal where we got all of the master recordings back into the hands of the band. And then simultaneously 
signed a licensing deal that then licensed the records back to Tooth & Nail. So on the consumer-facing side, everything says solid state and it's all coming out that way. But on the back end, that means the royalties jumped up. And most importantly, if any, you know, because really around the time I was doing that deal, it was right after Vagrant Records, Rise Records, Fearless Records, all these labels were selling to larger companies and they were going from DIY labels with like a single owner or a couple of owners and a staff. Those guys were getting big checks and piecing out. And then those master recordings end up in different companies. And so my primary concern outside of the financial realm was to make sure that the band always had control of the records and always knew if any, if, and there's no, you know, Tooth and Nail hasn't sold. I don't think he's ever going to. But it was like, just in case, you know, it's just like, if, if, you know, if, if the label decides to change hands, I don't want to be chasing down strangers trying to find out what's going on with their records. So it worked out, you know, where we have a great relationship with them in terms of the services they can provide, whether it's working songs to radio, um, even just they have good relationships with Spotify and Apple and are able to, you know, get us editorial placement and different playlists and things like that that are effective. And also just having that many extra pairs of hands really, because they're not really doing anything we couldn't do ourselves at this point, but they're doing it, (laughs) you know, there's only so much time in the day and it frees us up to do, you know, the other things that, that we want to do for it. So all of which is a long, long way of saying, you know, to be, in the position in your career where you're at and to be young and for your band to be in the spot where it's at knowing all of this stuff from the outset puts you so far ahead in the game versus waiting three record deals from now to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, no, nah, that, that was, we went into it, man, with that, that approach. And yeah, look, I'm in a, I'm in a unique position to where a lot of, um, following that we have comes from other things that I can do. You know, mm-hmm. me being a political commentator, me being a, um, I'm not completely oblivious to that. It's very unique in which we can drive a lot of traffic uh, to our material that comes from other things that like, for example, that I do. Um, and it, but it is liberating. It absolutely is to have that sort of freedom to be able to decide what it is that we want to do um with our record and how we exactly want to do it and you know me us making enough money to be able to have some sort of leverage to say if i want to if i instead of you taking something off the top how about i pay you to do it you know what i mean so you you, you're done with it you're done with it you got your money we make every we make as much as we possibly can uh from it and that to me is just something that i think again the industry is adjusting and it's, uh, you know, I think in a, more times than ever before, people are able to individuals, uh, be it in people in bands or, or what have you, groups are able to more so decide. And, and I mean, obviously, that's a decision for you to make because not everybody's business savvy. Not everybody understands um, all of that. But now we have enough tools out that's available to that anybody can pick up. I feel like and anybody can sort of master to mm-hmm. be able to get their stuff out there to their audience that wants to hear it. And it's a lot easier than what it's ever been. And to me, that is, it means a lot. And I'm blessed to be coming up in this, uh, cause this is, un- would have been unheard of even 
20 years ago, you know, it's just being able to do what it is that we're doing at the so early. And I mean, we're only on the second album, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and we're so early in our, in our careers as a band, it's just being able to do that and, and having the growth alongside of, um, you know, with, with the other stuff that I'm doing, it just puts us in a fantastic spot. And um, we have a lot of, of of leverage and the tools that have been given to us to be able to, as artists, just in general, to be able to put our stuff out there. Indeed. And I think, you know, to your point about like, like there's, you know, there's no apology, I think, about the other things you're doing outside of the band having an impact and an influence on the band's level of visibility because I think that's another thing that's more of an innovation in recent years. I was talking about this earlier today, actually in regard to Rob Zombie and how, you know, the last song on one of his records was called house of a thousand corpses. And that was before the movie came out. And just this idea that the brand of Rob Zombie, right? That's something that you associate the films that he's writing and directing or the commentary. If you're watching you know, AMC in October and Rob Zombie shows up introducing horror movies and then the records that he's making and he's directing the music videos. It, it, it all is, it's a certain type of synergy that as long as those things aren't in conflict with each other, if you're not compromising one side of your art or what you're putting out there and into the world, for the sake of another, you know, if it's all balanced around the same core of what your identity is, I think it's, it can only help. And the other example, and I, you know, in the hip hop world and with political commentary, and there's a lot of different examples we could talk about, but right now at this exact moment, I think about killer Mike, mm-hmm. you know, I've run the jewels is obviously successful and, you know, plays Coachella and this and that and whatever. But I would say, I'd be hard to quantify with a percentage, but certainly some very large percentage of that audience comes from Killer Mike doing the Bill Maher show. Killer Mike showing up, you know, um, going out stumping for Bernie and the other stuff that he does, showing up on NRA TV. Um, I think that that has led a lot of people to check out the music that he makes. And the music that he makes has, you know, his, his his lyrics have a commonalities with the things that he talks about as abundant so it's not like two completely different things it all does kind of overlap so i could see you you really continuing to emphasize that same type of positioning in a way that's only going to benefit you know both the music you're making and what you have to say as an individual outside of the music so i think most definitely yeah most definitely i mean i mean we've been able to do that and i love that i don't have to hit any like off switch in terms of what I do with my music versus what I say as a commentator on whatever it is my own podcast stuff at the blaze that I'm doing doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's no off switch. It's just who I am. And thankfully I'm with a group of guys that, you know, that's where we're at definitely with the other vocalist. He's another prominent, uh, or more so I'll speak outspoken uh, and cap. And it, it, it's just so, awesome to be able to do that and it does show how people want that like there's a market for it right Mm -hmm. because look i know that there is a heavy political slant in in what it is that i do and i'm not oblivious to that by any means and i remember when we first started you know dropping some of like the song statism one of our more popular songs with Mm -hmm. craig mabbitt from uh escape the fate yeah craig's a buddy of mine yeah 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 so we did 
we did that song and to see the reaction, like we, that was our first, that was like our coming out party. It wasn't our first song that we had ever did. We did other political songs like Utopias Don't Exist and we did, we did other songs, but that was the song that was like, you know, we had the, at the, it was the election cycle, right? It was mm-hmm. at the time. And then we had, you know, we had, we had bits of what Hillary and Trump were saying at the, at the beginning of like the music video. And then we're all doing like, we all have these, sort of um hoodies that represent the hoodie right with the yeah like yeah black, black and, and yellow gold hoodies yeah. you know uh you know we had black and gray black and white like all of these are representing different schools of more so anarchist thought so it was that was the like coming out party like all right we don't care we're putting it out all there on the table and to have people reach out to us that are in our own scene be it artists be it fans that are like dog we've been itching for this like we've been itch like we've wanted this so much and you guys come along and it's like music that comes uh, along the lines that they can they can actually relate to but also it, it's more personable it's more like you can like we're having this conversation right right here and i can have conversations get off the stage have conversations with the audience and they're like yeah, man, we can get to go into debt with the philosophy and stuff like that. Like that is to me awesome. It's a great feeling for for us. But it's certainly I was even a little overwhelmed when when we initially came out because I didn't know the demand was that much. Mm. Like as far as people that didn't really have a they had bands that may have echo their sentiments as far as what they maybe believe in. Uh, on a song, but then you hear the guy talking, he might cape for a politician that's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum mm-hmm. that you are on. And you're like, well, that's not really what, what it, they didn't have to worry about that with us. They knew what we believed in because we're pretty public about it. It's not a secret. And they know what it is, uh, where we're at from a political standpoint and a, more importantly, and even an economic standpoint. And to be able to put that music out and to see that demand that was there and all these people that were within our own same people that were within other bands. We talk about fit for a King, uh, and, uh, you know, Ryan, who's, you know, sell me on numerous occasions, like, dude, you're like, you're one of my influences as far as, uh, you know, just learning more about libertarianism and stuff like that. Like to be able to know people that are in the scene mm-hmm. right now that are like, man, dude, I, I agree with it. I never heard it broke down like that. And it's good to see it in our scene. It just lets us know that people were, were wanting to hear it. It was just, it just wasn't there. And I guess that's, that's, I mean, it's capitalism, right? It's markets, right? It's like, <laughs> that's, that's what it's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what it is. It's like, there's a demand. We feel the demand and we reap the benefits off of feeling that demand, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a comforting thing to be able to, cause I know there's people in bands that may have so- social views or political views that they have to suppress. Hmm. And because it is a lot, it's echo chambers in, in some cases. It's a, it's a lot of people that we get living this council culture and stuff like that. And people feel like they have to tiptoe around their beliefs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they have to suppress it. It's, it's, awesome for us because we don't have that problem like i'm gonna say exactly what i want to say and you're gonna feel how you want to feel about it but you're gonna know where where i'm at with it and i don't have to sit up here and be like well i can't i can't quite quite say that because my fans may not it's like it's all connected here and that's a, a wonderful feeling for i know not just myself but certainly the rest of the band i've said this many times on this podcast in fact and just in general in my in my everyday life what i respond to is a point of view and I don't have to share that point of view. I just appreciate and connect with the authenticity 
and the passion behind it. So that's why, you know, I can listen to a Dark Throne or, you know, some black metal band that's so anti a lot of things I believe because I relate to the passion that comes from it, you know, and and, that, and that's the same with with just art in general, the, the stuff that's that's never turned me on that I've never connected to are the things that are created solely as commerce where there's no ideas behind it. And it doesn't have to be what you're doing. It doesn't have to be raging yeah. against the machine. I don't mean like outright blatant politicking, but just mean something. You know what I mean? Like have, I, I want to feel like that person is creating what they're creating because they have no choice not to, because that's, that's who they are. That's what they're about. They got to get it out of their system. They got to put it out there to the world or they're going to explode. And that's where I think the best music comes from, the best movies, the best everything comes from that that place. Absolutely. I mean, that's what to me what I think about when when I think of an artist, you know right. what I mean? Like right. it's it's about that sort of being a reflection of, of what it is that you are, what it is that you conjured up, what it is that you thinking about what that's and, and you see it coming to fruition, be it bad or good. Like, that's just that's what it is. And you you hit it like nailing right on i mean the the hammer i mean it's just it's it's perfectly put when you say that like you're making music as if you have no other choice and that's how i feel man mm -hmm. it's more of i've been writing veracity that i mean that record people don't, don't ever believe us how i talk about like i recorded those parts in like a day and a half like the whole it's 18 tracks I recorded basically that whole rest of that album. The songs that weren't the singles, right? Mm -hmm. So you're probably leaving out about three or four of them. But so you're looking at the rest, maybe 14. I, I, like I recorded the rest of those like in a two days max. Like it was, it didn't take us long at all. And some of it was written the day before I went to the studio. Most oh, wow. of it was written the day that we went to the studio. It was just, I, I'm not even thinking. I'm not, almost not, not even conscious in terms of what I'm writing. I'm just, this is what it is. This is how I feel, and here it is. Let's uh, let, let, let's uh, let, let's record it, and thankfully it, com it comes out in a decent enough way to where people want to buy it, and, and or come to a show. But no, that's to me what it's about when it comes to being a an artist. I think the best work is made like that when you don't feel like you had a suppression. You're completely right. It doesn't have to be like on, on us. Um, you know, well, we're pretty on the nose where it at, where, where it is that we believe it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, you want that to, when, when the person hears that, at least to me as an artist, they hear that and they think me, like they think me, they yeah. think yes. that's what, that's who it, who it come from. It can't be replicated. It can't yes. come from anybody else because that's who that person is or that group of people are. And that's what it's about when it comes to being an artist for us. And as an artist, it's liberating. Now, look, I get it. A lot of people are reluctant to do that for a lot of short term stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's always a trend right in every scene where the most popular music is being done in a, in a similar way. It's almost like a meta. You think of it playing a game mm -hmm. where people trend towards it and people make the music that trends towards that style even if it's not necessarily something that would, let's say, equal their best work. I've always thought that doing it the way that we've done it is it, it gives us more long term success 
because the guys that jam us, like we had, like that record came out almost four years ago, mm-hmm. right? And people are still jamming it. Like I look at all our numbers, the money we and, make from people. And people are it. still discovering it. I discovered it right. yes, B- yesterday. Bingo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and the people listen to like the songs and they're like, man, this is like self-ownership. Like this is relevant as it was four years ago. No. You know what I mean? And when you want to so. hear something. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we we were able to do that. It's timely. The people that jam us have a, a have a unique connection. We know they're not just going to move up to the next band. It's something that they that they want from us. And it it to me, from a long term perspective, it allows us to create a base um, fan base that really jams us for us. And that's always what I wanted I would have taken that. I mean, I, I, I we've had, look, man, we're backwards. We done passed up, I don't know how many deals. Um, as far as, you know, be having these opportunities to get on, you know, putting the face of everybody. And sure, maybe for the short term, it would have been, it would have been worth it. But for the long term, it's just to us, it feels like we have a base. We have a foundation that is going to last for years to come. And that feels good as an artist because like, we not we never were in a hurry. We put that album out. We gave them a lot of music, but people are still discovering it. People are still jamming it. And yes, there's a lot of people that thirst for more, but we know that we could take our time, and our audience, more importantly, understands that um, that that about us. And and because they stick around for us, they're not moving on just to the to the next band just because we had dropped music in three or four years. Well, and, and there aren't there aren't 15 bands exactly like you for them to to move along to which is what happened a lot in that warp tour scene yep, for a yep. while a lot of different scenes you know it was easy to do that because you had a, a lot of similar bands putting out records i think there's going to be a real thinning of the herd from the shelter in place and the quarantine mm. and all of that that some of the bands who maybe should you know <laughs> the market <laughs> some of the <laughs> bands who who maybe should were crowding the place up will go away and you know, the stuff that's that has more staying power and longevity and is a little more timeless and evergreen is going to have more of an opportunity to flourish because you won't be competing with uh, so many, you know, mediocre bands. I, I want, man, there are so many things I want to get into with you. I want to jump back. You, you mentioned Nas, you mentioned Eminem. That was another thing as a music fan and somebody who, uh, you know, I grew up <laughs> – First, it was new wave and punk rock when I was really little. Um, my mom was country music even before that. And then it was thrash metal and punk rock and hardcore. And then there was a kid who uh, I rode the bus with to school in high school who would always wear public enemy shirts. And this, uh-huh. you know, this is late 80s, early 90s. And I knew it was even this is a few years before the Anthrax public enemy song had happened. But scott ian from anthrax used to always wear a public enemy shirt in pictures so i I knew the logo on the shirt but i had no idea what it was and i knew hip-hop in the you know walk this way had had happened Mm -hmm. and it's tricky was i I think followed that and i knew the beastie boys a little but you know i appreciated it but i wasn't like into it but i asked that dude like what's that shirt about i see that shirt you know this band i like they're always wearing that shirt so it was that typical late 80s early 90s music lover story where i made him a tape he made me a tape (laughs) and dude i I put in it takes a nation of millions and heard that slayer sample chuck d rapping over slayer (laughs) 
<laughs> and like, so a lot of people don't remember that. You know, I mean, that was yeah. even before the like rap rock. You know, it was yeah, literally yeah, yeah. just they sampled it. You know, and uh, I was just it gives me chills even talking about it right now. Like it, I was just immediately in, and then from there, you know, a lot of the great so-called conscious stuff that was happening at that time i got really turned on to and i think that that crossed over easily for me from punk because i was accustomed to music that had a message mm -hmm. so from public enemy it was very easy for me to then get into krs1 who's still my favorite yeah. rapper of all time yeah. um you know there was uh, a lot of stuff happening then like you know brand nubian and tribe and stuff over the next few years that really kept that the spirit that consciousness alive and it's not that i don't appreciate more commercial hip-hop music and you know everything has its place right but there it does seem like there's these eras where it gets boring it gets stale and then next thing you know it's like boom wu-tang <laughs> you know it's like yeah. all this there's always something like coming around that corner and i was uh when i was 21 years old for about six months i lived in Atlanta, Georgia, really briefly. It was one of those, like, I, I want to move away from Indiana. Where should I go? I had other friends that were moving there. It was kind of random how it even happened. But I was waiting tables at a vegan restaurant there. It was 1995. And <laughs> I went to get a job there because somebody told me that the people from Arrested Development went there. And this is for younger listeners, not Arrested Development, the TV show, Arrested <laughs> Development, the Atlanta hip hop group. One of my close friends is in that group, Jason. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's my, I guess my guy. So I had so I had just heard that they hung out there. And so and I was vegan at the time, which wasn't a big thing back then. And I uh, so I ended up getting a job there. And sure enough, a couple members of of Arrested Development I would see in this in this cafe here and there. And uh finally had a couple in and i was their waiter <laughs> and so i start bending their ear going i love conscious hip-hop and this and that and this and that and i don't feel like you know what's new though like what's who's pushing this forward and they told me right then and there i can remember vividly the day that uh i needed to look out for a group called goody mob mm. and this was just a few months before the first goody mob album came out and that still that's a soul food is a that's like a top 10 maybe top five hip-hop album for me still and what i appreciated about that in my own sort of journey philosophically spiritually all the various things i've explored in my life i love that that record had the hard edge grittiness like we're talking about like these are clearly four dudes who were making that record because they had to right uh, it also had the politics that I appreciated from some of that stuff in the early nineties and then had the spiritual element to it. I mean, there's obviously the, you know, little did we know what, what CeeLo was going to break out and do, but right. even on that, on that first album, just his voice. But anyway, I bring all this up to say that as a fan of all of that stuff, the, when I checked out your band, it, it, it's not just that you're rapping. It's that, you're lyrical you know yeah. like and that's and that's something that i rapping is one thing but that and exactly those those uh influences that you reference because you know when you think about eminem like eminem's a student of rakim like yeah you know like th those that lineage is something that 
I mean, I could go on a tangent, but it's like when you when you think about the Eminem MGK beef, mm-hmm. kids that thought MGK won that battle are kids who don't understand rap. Bingo. That's my stand. Or, or just or they, they just have a different experience with it, and they think he's cooler. He's whatever. He's younger. He's he had a couple funny jokes in there, but they don't understand lyrics. They don't understand yeah. battles. They don't understand beef. Yeah, and it's just you can't. You can't battle Eminem. I mean, yeah. unless God forbid, there's a couple people we could name, but thankfully they're all cool. So yeah, they're all cool with them. But everybody in the industry knows that that's that's the guy you stay away from uh, <laughs> when it comes to comes to those problems because yeah. he is a animal. Like that guy is yeah. a guy that is double entendres, uh, you know, making you think, but also, and that's all what I've always pride myself in as I've aged as a as a rapper is to okay i want to have a rhyme scheme uh and, and what m what m does and some of the guys that i like to listen to um and what i've always appreciated is that when i think of rap i think i think that it, it's it's wordplay it's it, that's part of it but you can it, it, some people are best of of both or like they well not both worlds that's that's the rarity some people can do one really well and the other really well some mm. people can talk the most conscious uh, tell a story and all that, but it's like A, B, A, B, A, B. And then yeah. you have the guys that can rhyme a bunch of times and not say anything. Right. And M is like the clash of, I could do it both, right? Mm-hmm. I could say something, but also it's a, you, you're thinking the way that I'm stringing up my bars is just something like that just is, is, is unheard of. Like anytime I listen to this man, I'm like, God dog it, man. I got to get better. You know what I mean? I got to <laughs> get better because this guy's, you know, he's so much better than I am. Yeah. But that's what I think, you know, because rap, regardless of what anybody says, it does have an actual – it's a talent. It's a skill, mm-hmm. man. It's not just talking on a talking on a record. It's an actual skill to do some of that stuff, and these skills are measurable. And um, that, to me, is was the challenging part of being an, an, an MC. definitely going in my genre, going from screaming to singing to rapping – and back and forth and trying to jump between are some things that are purposely challenging, purposefully mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do it just to do it. I do it in the way it makes co- sense in the context of the song, but I'm challenged writing this stuff. Like I'm actually like, okay, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to make this make sense? And that is um, something that I pride myself in doing. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to make, to see it come out. Like to to hear it all. All right, this is what I came up with, and then to hear the final final part of that that record mixed and so forth. I'm like, man, this this feels good, um, and, and so forth. But yeah, man, I mean that's that's the scene that I you know, I, thankfully I had that background because I could have easily fell in that that category of people just wasn't saying a whole lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully coming from those hearing those lines of lines of MCs. Um, and, and having a respect, even though it, it predates me, having that respect for the rock hymns, you know, uh, of the world. Like you mentioned, KRS-One. Uh, greatest and, and great, the, greatest yeah. freestyler to ever live is KRS-One. Right. Oh, hands down. And, and an actual freestyler. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> yeah. Like rich stuff and memorized it. Like <laughs> so an actual not, not, the, guys, the guys that show up on, on, on uh, Sway's show not realizing it's video and pull out their notepad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Hey, you know there's a camera on you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like like – like an actual freestyler, but coming yeah. from that, you know, what I think of golden age stuff, uh, 
uh, uh, rap stuff and, 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 and having that influence, drawing that influence, but still having that Southern draw that I came from mm-hmm. is just, it's just a perfect mesh, um, of, of, of like just whatever comes out. And that's what I love about what it is that we do. Cause there yes. is no replicating that. It's no, no, it's no doing that. Cause you can't do what I do unless you came up the way I came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the reality. And that's and, why I would uh, put you in that lineage of like a Scarface also in terms of storytelling yeah. like the content's different but telling a story and putting across a point of view and doing it in a way that's also lyrical and wordplay like you said that's you know you're very much in that tradition and that was what i responded to as a as a fan you know and and i for me growing up in the midwest too there's a, a funny a funny little anecdote on the m&m thing uh, a friend of mine still still a friend Russell Johnson is a, a rapper and DJ and a radio personality in Indianapolis where I grew up. And he was locally like the best rapper anybody knew, right? Like in the local scene and he and freestyler and extremely gifted and still is extremely gifted rapper. So he was at Scribble Jam and uh, way back in the day and got really 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 far i didn't go but i was talking to him about it right after it happened when he got right back in town scribble jam was in ohio next state over and he's telling me how he got through this round and this round and this round and then he got beat by this dude from michigan named eminem (laughs) and he said that uh the the his his last line in the last round is he said when you get back home tell your friends you got beat by a white boy (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, who's this dude? And it, it, it's, it's funny because then in my own career trajectory as random and tangential as this is my first story as a freelancer for MTV news was about the beef between Eminem and Everlast. Mm. And I was, you know, I come from an Irish Catholic family and I was in high school when House of Pain came out. So I was like, I'm literally the target audience. So I'm, yeah. st- I'm still a House of Pain stan. And I'm, I'm not ashamed. I have a <laughs> I have House of Pain related tattoo. But <laughs> so my, my buddy Russell, who was very in on the mixtape culture, had slid me the, uh, the diss tracks that had just started kicking up. And it's a long story that I tell you some other time. But I was already talking to MTV, and so I pitched them that story that they just happened to not know about yet. And this was, like, right as Eminem was, was really getting big. And when Everlast had, like, reinvented as, like, a kind of the, the country-ish yeah. singer stuff. So that was my first story, October 2000. The, the first story I ever reported on for MTV was, was those two. And then I ended nice. up in California um, a year later, and then I ended up working full-time at MTV – and we were doing my beat was primarily movies and we were doing a half hour special on eight mile right before mm-hmm. eight mile came out. And one of the things M's camp did for the episode is they sent us a bunch of, and we're talking like VHS and like, you know, those little camcorder videos, a bunch yeah. of videos because eight mile dealt with the freestyle battle rap world. They sent us a bunch of videos of him actually doing that stuff from back in the day. And so I'm going through tapes and I pop in this tape and there's my buddy Russell (laughs) (laughs) battling Eminem. And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm hitting him up in Indiana. Like, dude, I got the tape. You know, he didn't even know a tape existed. 
Yeah. Got a tape of you battling Eminem. But anyway, but that's just my little Midwest, like, nice. you know, it, it just very interesting and fascinating to watch that whole rise. And I also got to, while I was at MTV, I got to interview Everlast. And this was probably way, way after the beef was over. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of talk about that and, and told him like, that was my first story. <laughs> was your, your beef. And that all, that all started on a dilated people's record. Yeah, and I was in yeah, the dilated yeah. because they were in that, you know, backpack hip hop. They called it back then. Yeah. You know, us nerds that like the nerd, the lyrics, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah. And that was something that I found was lacking as rap metal started to take off. Cause obviously there were, there were a lot of rap rock mixes that you can go back in historically, but really rap rock as a genre post raging into the machine was really when the, the new metal thing really kicked yeah. up. And that's when you yeah. had, you know, a lot of those bands. And the thing that I didn't connect to was because the hip hop that I enjoyed, the metal I enjoyed was much heavier and more extreme than the new metal bands were playing. And the hip hop mm-hmm. that I liked was more lyrical and conscious right. than right. the rappers that were rapping it for those bands. Right. <laughs> I, right. Rem- I remember when the uh, Limp Bizkit video came out that was him and Method Man. And I remember telling people like, there's a scene in The Godfather 3 that's just uh, Al Pacino and Sofia Coppola together for one scene. And she grew up to be a brilliant film director, but she was a terrible actress. And she's yeah. probably the worst thing about The Godfather 3. And there's a scene where it's just the two of them. And her being with one of the greatest actors alive, alone in a scene, one-on-one, really highlights how terrible her acting was. <laughs> That's Fred Durst rapping with Method Man. <laughs> yeah, it's like a night and day. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a night, night and yeah. day. We already know you're not a good rapper, but why would you, why would you make, put it on such display for us by <laughs> being on a track next to someone who's one of the greatest of all time? Like, yeah, uh, that that and that's um, uh, like it's perfectly put, man. And I've and I've always sort of I knew we were gonna mix the the sort of rap element with some of what we did, but because I came from a background of actually being able to spit, mm-hmm. um, I almost took offense when people would try to lump me with other, even my previous band trying to lump me with these guys. I'm like, trust me, like what they do is different from what I can. And it comes back. You so saw you, you sort of brought up the MGK uh, thing. It goes back to like there's a lot. Is it there's a group of block of people that don't really know MCing, they don't know rapping so they could they think it's just cool that someone can just rhyme the end of the bar and they'd be done with it um and they try to quit oh, i get offended when people try to quit like me to that so i'm like no, no 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 like actually listen to what i'm i'm spitting man I, yeah this is different you know but i came from that background and that's what even with the newer record some of the stuff that we're doing it's like i, I kick it up even a notch even even more nice. because and i actually have a song it's funny we mentioned that i have a song specifically dedicated uh to like those guys that came from that you know what i mean you'll nice. you'll be able to hear it in beats you know some of the i'm talking like you know like dj premiere type of mm-hmm. sample mm-hmm. you know be, like that's what that's what i 90s that's what i grew up on you know yeah. what i mean that's what that's the stuff that i come back to that i end up um you know listening to still to this day and we talk about what's timeless music we can think of man you think about that rap group that existed for like two years and they were on top of the world Mm -hmm. but you still illmatic is still where it's at like people still going back (laughs) to illmatic that was like 90 you know like that was mid 90s even when even even when nas made stillmatic like he was going back to that (laughs) exactly you know what i mean it's like everybody's still going back to that as like when you think beacon of like 
a rap album. Like everybody's yeah. still going back to Illmatic. That's timeless music, but you can't make timeless music if you're trying to be like trendy and doing something just because the genre told you to do it versus yeah. actually beating on your craft, beating on your skill, trying to become better at what it is that you do and make it as uh, unique, you know, unique as possible, as meaningful as possible. And that's stuff that I've, I've always pride myself in, but specifically with backwards, specifically with this band, that was like the effort. Like we got together and we was like, before we ever dropped a record, like we was like, this is how we're going to do it. We know that it's going to be some bands here that are not what, what we are. And I remember when we went it, when we did it, this grindstone, no, you have to go back to what I did when I was in fire. That was early two, 2010s, right? That was like, you're talking like 2012 stuff. And I dropped a song called The Capitalist, right? That was the first, because when I first joined, a lot of people don't know this. When I first joined fire, I was not the first vocalist of fire from the guys. Mm. That was the first, that was just the first time that everybody heard about us. I was not the first vocalist. That was a deathcore band before I joined it. Mm. It was a strictly deathcore band. Um, I will perform like that a, stuff. Like when a I first... All Shall Perish, Suicide yeah, Silence, like it was White just Chapel. Heavy, yeah. heavy, yes, bingo. It was just a straight-up deathcore band. I came up, and I was like, you know what? That's not me, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I, what I did, and that's when we dropped uh, Smokescreen and stuff. But the first song that I had dropped was called uh, that we had, that I rapped in was called the capitalist. And at the, at the, you know, end of the part, I dropped uh, uh, an actual rap in and it's funny seeing that. And then like the following groups of bands that were just trying to do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, what the, but they couldn't do it like us. They couldn't, they couldn't, it came off as corny. It came mm -hmm. off as cliche. It came off as something that was just not, real not authentic you know yes, what i'm saying and, 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 and that's what to me like what separates our band from from a lot of the other guys who try to mix rap elements and what it is that they do and it's because i did, i'm not a guy that's a that's a strict rock guy mm -hmm. that tried to add the rap i'm a guy that came from the back i came from that i came from mcn and i also uh grew up listening to a lot of this stuff so I have the backgrounds of, of of both, and but it's authentic. It's not I'm, I was on one side and I just wanted to yeah. do the other. It's That's the difference between being in the culture and being a tourist. Bingo. And there's nothing wrong Bingo. with being a tourist. It's cool to not visit other places, but <laughs> but you know when you're a native to the culture and that and that and that's you know that goes across all sorts of subgenres and subcultures and all of yep. that. I want to talk about uh, anarcho capitalism. Mm -hmm. ANCAP, as you abbreviate it, and people that are familiar with it would say it. But I, I really only – it's funny because I've, throughout my life, had a lot of experiences with different types of activism. You know, I was I was very active in the animal liberation movement when I was younger, mm -hmm. and I still hold on a lot of those ideals. Um, I knew people who were – uh, part of the Uhuru organization in Chicago. This was more in the late nineties. And, uh, you know, the guys in the band race trader who, uh, who actually got back together not that long ago. And, you know, it's uh, been around a lot of radical politics in my life on different points in the spectrum. Most of it, I suppose now would be considered more towards the, the liberal or progressive mm -hmm. end, but the radical end, like I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up reading about, you know, I was really fascinated by the weathermen and by, mm -hmm. you know, 
anarchists and yeah. and then the anarcho strain of punk rock and it well i'm gonna wind my way up to anarcho capitalism yeah, 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 yeah. before i get there um something that that always stood out to me and where i never felt comfortable on any particular end of the spectrum was that i experienced punk rock and hip-hop as anti-authoritarian right anti-government anti mm -hmm. certainly anti-police yeah and there was a whole sea change that happened in our culture you know 9-11 and first responders and um and i think there was a whole you know when a lot of these vietnam movies started coming out that were that were much more sympathetic to the kids who fought in vietnam and kind of turned the tables on this it went from we're spitting on people when they come when they get to the airport for killing babies in vietnam to now we're you know don't you dare forget to salute a, yeah. <laughs> a soldier as you walk by him in a you know restaurant and, and it, you know just this complete 180 and again i never felt that comfortable on either end of the spectrum but i was sort of shocked really to watch this transformation where so much of punk rock and heavy music and even hip-hop in some instances embraced police and yeah. embraced government and then yeah. on the liberal end a lot of people getting caught up in these political saviors and the yeah. idea of messianistic figures and i'm talking like before bernie like i mean even yeah. back you know when i was a voting age for the first time i was i had just turned 18 um when bill clinton was that right. was the first presidential election i was old enough to vote in and even then i remember thinking that i was more towards the liberal side but only because i believed in equality of men and women i believed right. in uh the oneness of humankind i believed in black liberation liberation struggles i believed in liberation theology in latin america and a lot of that stuff was identified as like social justice or liberal right. quote unquote and certainly animal rights at the time and, and and things like that but i never ever embraced the idea that government was the answer i just never and i remember even in the 90s when people were you know, people were saying Bill Clinton was the first black president. That was the yeah, thing that you actually yeah, heard yeah, in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. People still say it. <laughs> yeah, because he, he played saxophone and, and like, yeah. ladies. You know, it's like, what are we even like? I don't know. Right. <laughs> but 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 people were saying that. And I was reading stuff. You know, I started reading Christopher Hitchens in the, in the late 90s, which is funny because I'm a believer and he's a very, very uh, outspoken atheist. But on his political stuff, you know, he, he went at the Clintons hard in the 90s, and he talked about um, illegal bombing and, you know, stuff that, uh, you know, the expansion, you know, I mean, you hear a lot about the crime bill and stuff like that. Now, right. Christopher Hitchens was, was on the quote-unquote liberal side at the time, calling out the Clintons for that stuff, like, as it was happening. You know, right. it's like these these aren't new ideas for everybody. So anyway, I think just kind of the, the winding road of my own political journey was that I have never been comfortable with liberty to me is liberty, period. I have the freedom mm -hmm. to think what I want, say what I want, go where I want, associate with who I want to associate with. 
express myself how I want to, so on and so forth, as long as it doesn't infringe on someone else's rights to do the same. And to me, that's just like very simple. And those are very simple principles that are found in all the world's major religions that are found in the most important documents in not only America, but, you know, it, it, it just... To me, that was always that that was and, and continues to be the base from which the rest of it expands, right? So, what I'm getting at to where I really see this conflict that still frustrates me is that I have friends on different ends of the spectrum. That when when the police are occupying Ferguson, you have these military police tanks, armor against unarmed protesters occupying a town the way that they would like Fallujah in America. And you have liberals losing their minds over it, right? Just going crazy. And then you have something like Bundy Ranch happens mm. and you get these Patriot militia guys that are getting their GI Joe cosplay and they're building sniper nests and they're pointing their rifles at federal agents. Right. You know, over this rancher's rights. And Sean Hannity and everybody's on Fox News talking about it and they're all they're all about it. And liberals are thumbing their nose at it and laughing at yeah, it. And they're like, Well, exactly. that guy's probably racist, which it turned out he was. But <laughs> you know, it was like it's a joke to liberals, who cares? And that's been something that has continued to frustrate me and still does, and where I started to realize how much I share with the, you know, that I'm a libertarian. If I'm, I'm like, oh, that's why I don't feel comfortable on either end of the spectrum, because <laughs> I think that people arming up and going to Bundy Ranch was appropriate. And I think that they should have been doing the same thing in Ferguson. That's mm. my stance, you know, like yeah. militarized police, you know, I mean, that's, that's an army. That's an army that's occupying our cities and, Instead of looking at the team sports and going, well, what is my, how does my team contextualize today's events, which is what happens with every news story, right? Yep. Like Trayvon Martin happens and you get one side going like that guy was defending his neighborhood and the other side going, he was murdered in cold blood. And it's like immediately everybody had their mind made up before the facts even arrive in yep. a lot of these cases, you know, and then, and you go to the Huffington Post and it's a picture of Trayvon Martin from, I have a screenshot of this because this was right when that story was happening. I took a screenshot on my, my old iPhone at the time. You have a picture of Trayvon Martin from a few years before he was murdered, looking angelic and smiling. And then you have Zimmerman and he's beat up and he's in his county jumpsuit. And there was a side by side. On the Daily Caller at the exact same time, you had Zimmerman smiling in a tie and you had like this menacing picture of Trayvon. And I took a screenshot because I was like, this is the problem. This yep. is America right here. Both of these sides have their mind made up immediately about something nobody knows anything about yet. And immediately the battle lines are drawn and it's like, you're here or you're there. And for people that profess to be about liberty and about free thinking and a lot of the principles that we associate with America, where, where has that gone? You know, we're all just, everybody's in their echo chamber. And, and then, and then, yeah. And then in particular, and I, who knows, I may lose lots of subscribers to the podcast because I've never literally never talked about politics in this fashion. Anyway, the Bernie thing has been 
the a real tipping point for me because to see liberal minded people who've thrown off religion, right? Who they hate all religion. It's all fairy tales. You know, nobody's, nobody's going to save you. And it's, uh, you know, only, only dumb backwards, you know, illiterate hillbillies could still cling to this stuff, clinging to their guns and religion and whatnot to see them assign this messianistic value to a career politician also when you and also to hear words like revolution co-opted because to me revolution was the move house in philadelphia where people ate raw food and grew dreadlocks yeah. and tried yeah. to live outside of the system a little bit and grew a garden and the the police the actual police not the military blew up their house and murdered babies and families and Waco, Texas, you know, oh, uh, man, don't get me started. Ruby yeah. Ridge. Yeah. So, so a lot of that stuff radicalized me in the sense that how are we, how are you going to call something a revolution from somebody who's been in a held elective office for decades and decades and decades? If this guy had all this like messianistic change to bring about, he's had the opportunity. And I would even say to some libertarians, to some extent, you could, you could make a similar argument about, um, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. Ron, Ron Paul? Yes. Um, yeah. Which I didn't see the same vigor applied, right? The same like right. religious zeal that you get for Bernie. But the idea that anybody's going to just sweep in and save everybody with policies. And then on top of that, what's really irritated me in subculture, beyond the mainstream culture, the subculture that I come from, that we exist in, that I work in, that I've made my life, to see people on Facebook posting memes of Bernie wearing like a hardcore band shirt or, you know, Bernie with minor threat lyrics or what it's like you are assigning things that don't exist. You know, you yeah. are projecting your hopes and dreams on the, on this idol. It's a, it's a false idol. Thank and there were, and there was a, there was a degree of that with Obama and, and, I, and I think Obama and Bernie are very different, but the hope and change slogan. Yep. And I got swept up in the hope and change just in uh, the I did sense too. that I was my first time being able to vote. So I've been there. Yeah. And, and my, and my thing was, I mean, it was literally as simple as every president in my lifetime and every president that I've ever seen looks the same yep. and hope and change to me. I'll, I'm not ashamed to admit it was, I mean, obviously racial, but also, you know, I had grown up under two terms of Reagan, you know, Bush the first, and then there's two terms of Bush the second. And it, it just all felt, it felt like change. It was yeah. like a black dude from Chicago with a Muslim name yeah. who grew up in Hawaii. It was like everything. It was not just the racial aspect, but just everything about his story and who he was, was so different than anybody who'd ever gotten that close you know, I mean, the only thing that you could maybe compare it to, and this is, you know, my Irish Catholic background speaking, would be JFK. You know, there right. was a time when Irish immigrants were like, you'll never see an Irish president. And then you did. And uh, oh, how did that one end? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So uh, in terms of a lesser of two evils, you know, you can get into that debate. But I just I reject this whole notion that the state is going to save us. And I yeah. think less, less government, not more. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it, that that goes to a lot of, and we saw it in the scene, considering that we were in, and I mean, the echo chamber of Bernieism, like it was just sort of, oh my God, like to see all these bands to just kind of hitch hitch on that wagon was something spectacular, man. And, uh, you know, I would, that was the agitator. I'd come over on stage at a tour or something like that. And I'd be like, if you think this problem started and ended with like Donald Trump, you sleep. And then mm-hmm. I'd play the next song or something like that. But, you know, the point was that I have a song called Statheus, right? The song Statheus on, uh, was, on our record. That was the first one that I came yeah. across. And that's why we're talking. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was the whole point of and it. That's also you know where I, mean? I was like, wait, is this dude a believer also? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like that, that was the, the whole point of that, that record was to point that out and how people cling to this, either be it the institution or individuals that run for it, for, uh, for its office as saviors, as they are going to move the world for every individual and they're going to make the world better. And it's like so odd to see this from, come from people. And it's not just from the hard out. That song was obviously ain't called Statheus. And, you know, we talk about people that have a religious cling to the state uh, that ha- claim to hate religion so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also applies to, you know, just in general, how people, approach politics and they they are like hey my guy is going to save us by implementing this this and this they same similar thing with i mean you say with, with trump as well mm-hmm. it's the same thing where he's like oh we're going to do this we're going to build a wall we're going to do this we're going to save save america uh by way of policy and, and, and his lot- political career began with racism <laughs> right birtherism and then fear of immigrants and the other and bingo you know and he's like i'm gonna save everybody from the from these types by way of doing this and and people believed it and it's like in our scene to see everybody go that route was something like i don't know it was very interesting because we were obviously the outlier right and i and the whole statism song that was the point of it kind of to point out like like our, our top selling shirt, right, that we had sold was um the one that had an X on it. It's rule over you said rule over yourself. And it had an X on both Trump and Hillary. Uh uh that was one of our top selling I wanna I, I would love to have brought that back, man, because that was one of our everybody seemed to love that 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 shirt. But that was like we were the outlier. We were like, mm-hmm. these guys are crooks, man. Like it, it Bernie ain't say and, you know, I, I said in the self-ownership, like, y'all supported Bernie. That didn't work too well, did it, though? Funneling millions to his campaign, said he wasn't a crook until he endorsed the same thing, talking about how he could, this old revolutionary guy, mm-hmm. anti-establishment guy, could then go support, done it. Now we saw it twice, mm-hmm. uh, go support the most establishment candidate that could possibly be put out there like Hillary it doesn't get more more establishment than Hillary it does get more establishment than Hillary <laughs> Joe Biden Joe Biden yeah that's true that's true that's very true it does get more establishment than get Joe Biden right yeah. and then you know same thing Bernie when you know uh you know endorsed him but look we're in our vocabulary and I think we I love to have conversations with people that think they know what it is that we believe because you know they just hear whatever And that's my next question by the way is Right. break it down. Give give, right. give me anarcho-capitalism. Gotcha. So yeah. you think libertarianism, right? And you think a lot of people equate it to small government, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not and, saying and, and a lot of people liberals in particular will think of it as 
diet Republican or like right bingo. It's a you bingo. know it's a people people like oh a libertarian is somebody who knows that Republican's like a bad word now. So yeah it, yeah it's it's like libertarianism is it's a it's a philosophy centered around absolute private property rights and what that means and it starts first and foremost the core private property right is self ownership and that is that you own yourself your body. Um, there is not a right that exists in human like that that we consider that you cannot put it to a property right. And that's not meaning that I can own you. Obviously, that would be a violation of your private pro- mm-hmm. private property rights uh, because you do not have the right to own another human, human being. That's what slavery was. Slavery was the forcible use of one person to serve the purposes of another. It is hugely, insanely antithetical to to libertarianism. Um, so we look at self-ownership, right? We want people to be able to, we want as many interactions as possible to be voluntary. Mm-hmm. That's what it libertarianism is. Where the scale has changed is where you got, you got more minarchist libertarians who are wanting like, they, they believe that a state should exist, but to all it does is defense, court system, security, whatever, and have you. And that's it. That's where the buck stops. Or the anarcho-capitalist forms of we accept that markets and free individuals are better suited to solve other problems. The anarcho-capitalist says, well, what makes that different? What makes the courts different? What makes defense different? What makes all of those? We can marketize food and any libertarian be like the government should have no role in that. Why can't we do it with these other things? That's all that anarcho-capitalist is. It extends it to the logical conclusion as far as what the state actually is. Uh, you know, looking at it as a territorial monopoly on use of force, violence, and ultimate decision-making, the anarcho-capitalist does not make excuses as for why that has to exist. We're mm-hmm. like, we accept that, that this is wrong in any other sector. We don't feel like as if, if it has to exist um, and even in a small capacity. Now, that doesn't mean that I feel like minarchists are my enemy. If I would most definitely prefer a minarchism <laughs> right. to whatever what it is that we have right now. If we yeah. can get to that, we'll have that conversation once we get there. And yeah. If we get there, and we're, then we'll start to, okay, we got to keep going. And, yeah. you know, there may be a class. But I would love to get there. This is why I don't have any issue allying myself with other even minarchist liber- libertarians because they at least are going the same way that we are. They just want to hop off the train a little earlier and we want to go, we want to take the train all the way to the destination. Yeah. It's so, kind of, it's kind of like uh, the humane society and PETA, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, you know, the, the organizations that want smaller cages or, and or, or sorry, the organizations that want bigger cages and then the ones that want no cages. Right. They'll work together because at least they're, you know, a bigger cage is better than what a factory farm looks like right now. Bingo. Bingo. So it's the same thing. And and that's what anarcho-capitalism, you know, embodies is that we we I know I think a lot of people get it twisted and they think that it's like when you it's, it is an individualist philosophy. It absolutely is. But you have to understand that that's not anti-community. That's not anti. Uh, you know, this is why I always say like the libertarian will allow the social the, the state socialist to be a socialist. But it doesn't go the other way around. They won't allow. They won't allow the capitalist libertarian to be exactly, exactly that. There is not a libertarian that actually believes it. That's a principal libertarian that would have any issue with socialists wanting to go over there on property that they homestead and be able to. If they don't, say, if they say private property isn't a thing, uh, or, or we all shared it, share is communal. No libertarian is going to be like you can't do that. You just got to keep it over there. Like you just can't 
trying to take my stuff for it right. to be a part of your commune or something right. like that. That's it. It's not anti-community. In fact, a lot of things that we believe in as far as um, defense and, and, and stuff like that will absolutely have community um, involvement. And it's, it is an individualist, you know, sort of approach, but it's more of, okay, the individual should have the right to make that decision for themselves. So if they see that, that they want to voluntarily be a part of a community that wants them voluntarily, that should be what they're able, they should be free to do that. And there should be nothing in the way of them wanting to do that. You just can't force anybody to be a part of it. That's mm-hmm. that. That's more so all it is. And we're the outliers because we at least see the the band and, and the approach that we see. And maybe some of this comes from that I'm an actual commentator. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually versed in what it is that I'm talking about instead of just doing it for an edgy song or something like that or edgy hashtag or something like I'm actually I actually have to talk. This is my job. You know what I mean? Outside of writing the lyric, this is what I actually do. Uh, and I want to communicate that to to other people. And most people that I've ever came, even hardcore leftists that I commend, they was like, oh, that's what it is. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like that doesn't seem so bad. It's like because they have never had anybody explain it to them or they haven't explained to someone that is straw manning it uh, to the oblivion. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think like you mentioned, like this whole basically don't don't hurt people. Don't take this stuff it, it is the dumbed down version of libertarianism and most people can't agree you know what i mean of that it's just unfortunately people make exceptions to when that's tolerable and 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 if it's if it's happening to the person that they maybe disagree with they'll tolerate that theft they'll tolerate that tolerate that violence they'll tolerate those acts of aggression Mm -hmm. um and they'll make those exceptions because they think that it's sort of conducive to whatever end game that they want to work towards whereas the libertarians like aggression is wrong like you do not have the right to to aggress upon another individual meaning that you have you don't have the right to violate their their private property rights you just don't have the right to to do that and which includes them as a person as a person which is that's where it starts that's where it starts and you think about what property actually is which is an extension of your you know you put Mm -hmm. mix your labor with land or something like that like that's or you know you voluntarily exchange water bottle them drink it right now own it because i exchanged it voluntarily with the the previous owner you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's a simple thing and and it's a beautiful thing because some of the greatest innovations have come sort of with that sort of idea of, uh, okay, my community has issues. I want to solve it. You know what I mean? I want to solve the problem. Uh, but it all starts with self and them having the freedom to sort of uh, make that sort of the more preferential sort of action and, and having that come into fruition. Um, that's what libertarianism is. All the anarcho-capitalist form of libertarianism, all that is is that where the minarchists would make exceptions for why the state should exist, the anarcho-capitalists would say, no, like if we accept that everything else is better left up to markets and free individuals and people figuring out that, why do we stop at court systems? Why would we stop at stuff like that? All those could be privatized uh, or community based as well. So do you feel that, and this is funny because I have, I have like three things that that made me think of. One is old Dead Kennedy's lyric. Uh, Joel Biafra says, Anarchy sounds good to me until someone asks who will fix the sewers. Would the rednecks just play kings of the neighborhood? Mm. How do you address like that idea, right? Because if it's a, you know, if in an, in an anarcho-capitalist society, 
no one's going to want to be the person that cleans the sewer, right? Or, you know, is the garbage man or whatever the menial task you want to come up with. So how do you deal with that? And also, yeah, how do you deal with uh, aggression from, you know, groups of individuals that right. posse up and get yeah. a bunch of good old boys that want to come in and, and take everything from you? How does that, how does right. that get handled in that scenario? Right. Well, I think it's important to first and foremost note that if we have worked towards a freer, like a actual, if we got into where it's a libertarian society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a a big time evolution of people's minds, and this is why in the song "Individualism," like this is the first actual rock record on the on veracity, and I say uh, we don't need we don't need a revolution; we need an evolution. And, and what I'm saying is, is that it's a, it's a it's a psychological thing. It's a psyche thing where people feel as if this state, let's say, has to exist. Um, and they allow it to exist because there's enough enough of them that feels like this is what has to happen. If you've gotten to a freer society or a libertarian society, you have gotten the vast majority of individuals to accept the fact that, let's say, the principle of non-aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've at least got there at, at minimum. Now, that's not to say that every single individual in it. The reason I'm pointing that out is the fact that it's not a light switch. It's not a, okay, bam, stay right. off. Right. Like, like this is why I always say that, like, just because it hit with a lot of stuff that's going on right now, I always say, like, dude, just because people got the right idea as far as identifying a problem doesn't mean when we get on the other side of it, it's not going to be worse. Because if you can't, understand the root of it it doesn't mean anything so say if the federal government or the state collapsed right now mm-hmm. if everybody individual in, in, the, in the geographical area still had the same mindset that just had to exist another one's just going to form it's going to be another it's going to be another one that's going to form it may be worse uh but it's for sure going to be another one that's going to form so if we've gotten to the point to where mm-hmm. we're a libertarian society we are at a free society then the individuals, the vast majority of the people within that geographical area have accepted absolute private property rights, have accepted the concept of non-aggression. So when we deal with things like, and I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly how it's going to, I mean, that's partially why I'm a capitalist, because I I absolutely know that I have no idea how exactly every single thing is going to be done. Uh, That's why I believe in markets, because there's a lot of people more smarter than I am. Hmm. Uh, that can come up to solutions to very complex um, issues. I don't know how to, you know, clean water, but here I do have a bo- bottle of clay water right here right. that I'm able to consume, even though I have absolutely no idea how to personally uh, create it or the bottle that it's in or anything like that. So, so we want, we, we believe that market, whether it be in court systems and so forth, and there's so many theories that ANCAPs have put out there. Go to Mises.org and stuff. They, I mean, Robert Murphy has done some great work uh spelling this out uh maybe privatized forms of security like he was like maybe it'd be insurance based maybe it'd be be all of these things where like a na- uh, the neighborhood has come up not necessarily quite like an a- HOA but more so like the neighborhood has come people within it that have these insurance plans and their insurance covers more localized kind of yeah, yeah and it's like yeah i mean cuz and I'm, what i'm thinking in terms of policing quote unquote in, in a philosophical sense you know, it's like even if we have if we have this evolution, which 
makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense that that would be a transformational. And I think when you get into the spiritual side of things, especially, yeah, absolutely, uh, that, that makes sense. But you know, we still have to account for like crimes of passion. You know, guy mm-hmm. guy murders his wife, and you mm-hmm. know that sort of thing. Um, but it sounds like. Yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot of tools and resources, and I'm gonna load this up with show notes, and, and I'm gonna make you come back sometime. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of trying to get through some of these basics, even as much for my own understanding as for people. Yeah, listening. I mean, no, it's it's more so like, and and this is why I, I, I why libertarians value the market so much is because we're not oblivious to that. That's why we think that centralized forms of like whatever we have with a state monopolizes education. As an example, is the worst possible idea because we know that they're free individuals. That doesn't mean that people won't get educated. I know people equate that, unfortunately. Like if you don't force people to be educated and they'll not be able, which is insane to me. Um, but we we recognize and we have examples of this all across you know the world in terms of the voluntary exchanges that we have where we're able to. People come up with just innovative, innovative things that we couldn't have even possibly conceptualized uh, at the time, like at all. Like the fact that I could, you know, what do you mean I can I have this machine here where I can change (laughs) the compression and the equalizer on on a micro. Who would have thought that that was even possible? Or the the one guy in Texas and one guy in California can be talking to each other and seeing each other exactly (laughs) who would have thought that that was even possible yeah Yeah, that's exactly what we we thought this is the jetsons or something like this uh 30 years ago well it's like there's absolutely no way that's uh, that something like that and now it's a part of our everyday life the fact that i my computers is my phone now like that's nobody could possibly conceptualize these ideas before they happen and I think it's like that with anything and and creative, freer individuals. It's not to say that every single problem will have a solution um, that will be the best. This is why we want competing firms. You know, we want the idea of people being able to, uh, you know, we want decentralization. We want people to be able to opt out. We want people to be able to to see that there are better alternatives to even the same service. This is actually yes. the problem with the state because the state monopolizes a lot of what it does. So well, that's the thing it, about single payer healthcare is yes, yeah. there are a million arguments to be had about how terrible insurance companies are, how terrible right. the, you know, there's, we could go down that rabbit hole, but when you hear, <laughs> it's interesting that the moderate position in the democratic debates the one that you were banished and scorned for became government option, but keep yeah. the private choice. That was the moderate option. And it's like, yeah. if we believe in liberty, if we believe in the ability to choose, if the government version is the only version on offer, that's not a choice. No, I mean, not. it's a lot like the two-party system. Like, you know, there's a old band on Discord, Rain Like the Sound of Trains, who had a lyric, uh, we've got two more whole choices than one you know that's only one more whole choice than getting none you know it's yeah. two parties okay if we if we took one of those away it's literally one party like that's that's not choice that's not liberty that's not freedom yeah um, i want to ask you about this and and this will segue us quite nicely into a uh, talk about faith and christianity the first time i heard the phrase anarcho-capitalist was from a cousin of mine who who's in indiana who i'm not that I'm not close with and not that in touch with. And he's a few years older than me. And we kind of reconnected on Facebook um, a few years back. Right. And he's uh, 
he would he would do a lot of posts about a lot of libertarian stuff and anarcho-capitalist stuff. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase. So I found myself pretty supportive and, and in agreement with a lot of stuff that he would post. However, this is also the cousin who hit, hit my uncle, his father. That was the first person I ever heard the N-word from. That was the first person that I heard, you know, when we would go to their house. My, my parents didn't raise us that way. Um, and then I was, you know, my parents were together till I was four. Then I lived with my mom till I was 11. She passed away. Then I was with my dad after that. And neither of them, I never heard that. That was never part of my upbringing. But going over to that particular uncle's house and those cousins or whatever, that was said in their house. That was that kind of talk happened in their house. So I already sort of had this little chip on my shoulder, I guess, when I would see when, because here was an anarcho-capitalist who hated the state and was, you know, not, not loving police. And yet, you know, this was, this was the era of like Trayvon Martin and, like, and, mm -hmm. and different things like that would, would happen or the, you know, the situation, I think it was in the Carolinas, there was a traffic stop and the guy takes off running and the cop shoots him in the back a bunch of times. And he was suddenly, well, we don't know this and we don't know, you know what I mean? Like it just, it seemed like whatever race figured into it. Mm -hmm. the, so this is all my question for you. The reason why I bring this up is because and where he and I had had a falling out and I was like, I don't want this person in my life anymore. He was also, he's an anarcho-capitalist, but he's also a Christian. And as a Christian, which I am myself, he didn't understand how I could be pro-gay marriage, pro-LGBT rights, equality, gay-affirming, and pro-choice. He did not, it just didn't compute to him. And, and he would he would try to, and, and this isn't why I fell out with him. Why I fell out with him was, I don't even remember which situation it was. It might have been Ferguson, you know, a flare up in culture where everybody's popping on on Facebook. And a friend of mine, a colleague, who doesn't know this is my cousin in the, <laughs> you know, in the sticks back in Indiana, a friend of mine on Facebook who's black, ended up, those two are going back and forth in the comments on my page. And, uh, you could just sense the, my cousin's very smart. So it wasn't like this overt, you know, he's not like wearing mm -hmm. a clan hood or anything, mm -hmm. but you could just, it just started going a certain way. And that was how, that's when I was like, man, I can't have this. I can't have this dude on my Facebook page, like fucking with my actual friends and my real everyday life, you know? But uh, anyway, I bring all of this up because that being the first time I had been exposed to some of these ideas, and I'm with them. I also have this other part of me that goes, well, and that's why I'm super curious for your perspective. And I, it's funny because I've you know, been 20 plus episodes into this podcast and I've, I made it a point that I was going to do a podcast that dealt with religion and did not really talk about abortion or gay rights only because I feel like there's so many conversations about those things everywhere else. But to me, what I hear you explain as anarcho-capitalism and the right to property and that first piece of property being yourself. Nobody likes abortion. I don't think there's people out there that are like, yay, abortion, people should get more of them. With that being said, I mean, that that's to me, that's as libertarian as it gets, right? The state telling you what you can do with your reproductive system. With I, your body. I would say that I, w I would say that when it comes to abortion, like that's probably the one of the more divisive uh, topics among um 
libertarians and anarcho-capitalists uh, like because you can find one on on either side of the issue. It's funny uh, as you say this today. The guy popped on my post saying that he, uh, you know, that's pro-life as, uh, you know, when we talk about aggression and we talk about protection of, of life, that's why he's uh, pro-life. Um, and it's mm. interesting because he in the same post with other libertarians was arguing and both of them, all of them more so were arguing the on different sides. I will say that's arguably the only thing that I could think of that libertarians are like split down the middle. Just like uh, just like just like the rest of the country. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Split down the middle as far as what, cause, and I can hear both arguments. You know mm. what I mean? As far as what people people make of it, um, as far as like uh, how they correlate that to principles that we claim to adopt. You know, and there's I suppose it to depends be on on at what point that becomes another person. Yeah, exactly. It, and then you could so, say, well, it's libertarian. You're affecting the rights of another person. Bingo, bingo. And you could also debate. say it's libertarian. That's that person's right body. And that's not another person until it's able to be out and about as its own person. Yeah, yeah it, it's 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 an argument to be had. But mm. I don't shy away from, you know, when it comes to more of like, um, you know, to your other point, when you brought up like uh, maybe you know, high key racism and, and, and stuff like that, like. I, I did a, and not to say there are plenty of racist Democrats. I've met them in my life. Oh, trust I'm not me, saying, you know, I know them, and I, I, I've dealt with them on the other side. Definitely, when it comes to people that feel as if because I'm black, I'm supposed to have a particular po political mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, which is as Joe as Joe Biden said, yeah, to Charlotte, I, yeah, man. Joe Biden would say I ain't black. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I, I've dealt with all of that sort of uh, racism. My the, thing the ultimate is taking that, it for granted. I mean, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I've dealt with it from leftists for sure. Uh, I've dealt with it wherever. My thing is, and when it as it pertains to, and this is the uncomfortable conversation that people don't like to have. Mm -hmm. People have the freedom to have positions that I feel are ugly. And this is why I'm actually a fan of decentralization and so forth, and, and community, voluntary, because if I know someone hates me, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to live next to them, and I certainly don't want to share a government with them, mm. um, for sure. Mm -hmm. But until that, let's say racism, this is like I said, dude, I'm not a guy, I don't go around begging to be accepted by white people, like that, that to me is for losers. Uh, but like my thing is, until that manifests, into aggression you can feel whatever the kind of way you want about me it's until you decide to act upon that and do something to me my property and so forth that that becomes a particular issue i'm not in the business of policing people's thoughts i'm not in the business of policing people's uh deal i don't want to deal with you don't get me wrong that's why i would rather you be upfront with it tell me right. so i can know how to navigate right you know but the uncomfortable thing that a lot of libertarians don't want to deal with, which I absolutely have no problem dealing with, is that that's not an easy thing to sell people on as far as, well, they think racism is bad. And it's like, well, I do too. But I'm also principled. And I have no problem being principled. And if that person decides not to use aggression on me and he just thinks that I'm lesser than him because I'm black, 
I don't care. That affects me in no kind of way. This is why in the lyric, if this has been, I've done a million interviews over the last couple of weeks. And this is what we've been talking about is my, 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 that bridge part in self ownership where it's like, it's like spelling out everything that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And I say, I say, uh, for example, when a cop shoots a black man, you focus on the racism, ignoring all the statism. <laughs> yes. I, I call like, that line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, my thing is racism without the state doesn't mean it's not bad. It's just a bad idea. And it's, and, and it's much less enforceable without the state bingo, because it's the bingo. state that's institutionalizing and systemically which, which enforcing it. Slavery, Jim Crow, uh, all all the, 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 the Supreme Court cases, the Plessy versus Ferguson's, the uh, the Dred Scott v. Sen- all of that was state endorsed racism. That's what is exactly what it is. It's one thing for Joe below down the street to be like, I don't like that guy because he's got too much melanin in his skin. <laughs> Who cares? Right. If he's, not, if he's not able to deprive you of anything. Bingo. I don't care. Yeah, I, I don't care. And if you don't want to be- trade goods and services with him, bingo. You don't. If he wants to lose my money, that's <laughs> let that be. Let that be his problem. Like, right. I certainly don't want to force him to take my money. Why would I? <laughs> this is why I have a, have a lot of problems with some of the laws that exist that that make it illegal for people to do that. Because it's like I would much rather you put the sign on your on your on your door and say. I don't want your money. So I don't line your pockets up. Now they're hiding. I have no idea mm-hmm. who owns this company and who's who's the racist. And I might be lining their pockets. We have no do idea. I, do I want, you know, if, if if you're a gay couple who's getting married, do you want to buy your wedding cake from yeah, somebody exactly. who like thinks that, that you're, you know. It just happened in Oregon. That just happened yeah. where it's like, what, the hell, what are you suing from someone, trying to sue someone for it, they said they don't want like why would you want to give them money like why would you yeah. want to line their pockets like that's a few people that you're like you're yelling from the mountaintops if you feel like they don't want like hey this guy doesn't like people like me like that should be what you're doing so other people like hmm, no not to go there yeah yeah exactly you know <laughs> what i mean so you either force him to yeah. change by by and it, it is through violence by the market because yeah. by the do the market right you either force him to change his ideal or he's going out of business Period. So my thing is, I understand that there are going to be people that, and it's not just with racism, it's with a multitude of different things. Like, I don't agree with everybody's social preferences, and I'm pretty sure everybody didn't agree with my social social preferences and, and what it is that I do. That's fine. But we don't have to agree. We don't have to even like each other, uh, for that matter, for us to not beat each other up over. I think right. in a case when we talk about racism, I think... What's being encouraged, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, like the state is that it's weaponized and people are able to use that institution mm-hmm. to then try to use, you know, use aggression upon people that they dislike, whether yeah. it be with people that don't maybe don't like, uh, you know, gay people and they want to try to use the state to to oppress them and so forth. Like, that's why I want to get rid of that institution. Right. However, I'm not trying to get in a business and no libertarian should be, even if they find racism or bigotry, a bad thing. No libertarian is trying to police someone's thoughts because it's like you can if, look if you don't think I'm funny looking because my nose is a little big. I don't whatever, man. I got a big nose. I don't care. Like, I don't I don't I literally do not care. I know not to deal with you if that's the case, but I'm not in the business of, OK, well, this person 
doesn't like this person. Therefore, I have to it's it, it's illegal to think that way. And therefore, we must put them in jail or, or, or something like that. See, that's that. And that's why I think a lot of the, the consistency is what a lot of people have issues with. Yes, you're free to have ugly ideas in a libertarian society. However, what you can't be doing is having that manifest into acts of aggression upon pe- people. Uh, and because we already saw that in some of the most um, the, the, the more the greatest human atrocities were centered around that ethnic cleansings mm-hmm. and so forth mm-hmm. and the state being used to try to kill off people that they disagree with. That is something that is wrong and no libertarian is ever going to be like, yeah, that that's fine. Absolutely not. That, that's wrong. And we oppose that top to top to bottom. You made me think of a, a KRS one lyric uh, when he was beefing with Nelly speaking of commercial rap. <laughs> and he said, I had, uh, he said, how are you going to, how are you going to make fun of my nose to attack me? When you're straight guzzling pills for your acne. <laughs> and he goes, uh, my nose comes from a line of kings. Your acne comes from you eating the wrong things. <laughs> um, a line of kings, sir. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's where, man, the thought, the thought police stuff is frightening to me. And I'll tell you why. Of course, it's not because I think white supremacists or homophobes, or anything you want to put on the checklist of of terrible, awful ideas uh, should be propped up in any way. However, when you start talking about deplatforming people and making certain types of, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't make a difference from a principled standpoint who's doing the book burning and which books are being burned. We should be against burning books. That's my stance on on that. And that gets me into trouble with a lot of my more liberally minded friends because their whole thing is smash Nazis on site, smash Nazis. And it's like if (laughs) I I feel that and I have, you know, at points in my life done that. But, you know, now as an adult and and with my principles and whatever, seeing a Nazi isn't going to I don't want to just. I'm not going to run up on him just because I don't care. Yeah. That's not, you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like that's not, I don't want to go to jail for that. Yeah. Now, if he is fucking with somebody I care about, there you go. You know, if I see something that I can help prevent, you know, if there's a hate crime being committed across yeah, the exactly. street, you know, that's different. And that's not in conflict with libertarian principles. That is libertarian principles as I'm coming to understand it. Yeah. And, but what, what troubles me about the deplatforming and the, speech and all of that, cancel culture, all of that, is I think good ideas are how you beat bad ideas. Absolutely. And, and and if we talk about markets and the marketplace, I think the marketplace of ideas is where those things come to be defeated. Like those are dumb ideologies, a lot of them driven by poorly constructed conspiracy theories and bad science and everything else. And in a, the public forum of ideas, you can take your much better ideas and deconstruct that stuff and, and expose it for what it is. If all you're doing is scrubbing it away and hiding it, it's just going to be that much more insidious. It's going to be that much more dangerous and provocative and that much more appealing to somebody who is looking for someone to blame or, or having a tough time or whatever it is that attracts people to, to extremist ideology. And I would say that's the same, you know, again radical islam like mm. it, people 
people can pray and practice and believe however they want. But when it's like, when you're saying women have to cover themselves, when you're saying we're going to throw gay people off the tallest building in the village, that's against libertarian principles. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's always interesting to me with, with liberalism where it's like, these are liberal in the classical sense of class. Yeah. In the classical liberal. sense. Yeah. 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 These are liberal ideas that we're talking about. And, and so again, I still haven't said my main point about the thought police stuff. What bothers me about it isn't the ideas that right now people are saying they want to get rid of, because of course I don't agree with those ideas. What troubles me is that as soon as we do that, what happens when somebody else is in charge that wants to get rid of some <laughs> other kind of idea and then, and then it's the right idea they want to get rid of. And, and, and you can go back and say, you know, there was a time when the church in America, believed, as much as the Supreme Court and everything else, you know, all, all these battles that happened for marriage equality with same-sex marriage, those were the same conversations 30, 40 years ago in the same places from the same people about interracial marriage. Yep. That was, yep. that was against the law. And that was, uh, and then that was sinful in the church. That was in doctrine, you know? And again, it's like, if, if you just have the principle that that doesn't affect me, I don't care. <laughs> that's someone yeah. else's that's, that's for me to decide. That's for you to decide. Otherwise, Who's to say that forcing certain ideas to go away now? It may manifest and become something worse. Yes, and that's um, and that, that's, it, that's the scary, that's the slippery slope thing. And, and, yeah, and, and that's, that's where, just why you know, I think the idea should be out there. Like, I, I mean, I know I, don't, I know it makes people uncomfortable, but like, out I there say to get be it out. Defeated, you yeah, know? exactly. Like, I would much rather like uh, have it out there, and if we're gonna converse, if we're gonna do whatever, have it out there, and let's defeat the the bad idea. And if it is an actual bad idea, we should be able to easily defeat it. But sitting there just trying to say someone thought differently, and, and th that's where we're at now. Let's be let's be completely honest with this ain't this ain't like Nazism and, and stuff that people are getting quote unquote deplatformed. People have a slightly different position as, as someone else has. And people will just get quote unquote canceled. Like this is we're we're, we're reaching new levels and new heights. It ain't even like just the most ugly positions that people have. You can have like a, per, a position that they think you should not have. And now they're like, get them up out of here a, 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 instead of actually debating the ideas. And that mm -hmm. to me leads me to believe that a lot of people don't either believe what they say or they're not rooted in, in what they say, and they're not necessarily principled. I say get the ideas out there. This is, these conversations don't ever make me uncomfortable because I'm like, all right, let's talk, let's yeah. chat. Um, the, um, the, uh, the idea that you're for diversity, but only your my kind of diversity. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> really like, well. That's yeah. not diversity. That's not diversity at all. It's not like certainly not a diversity by way of thought. Um, and the more and that, I think, that, again, that Milo idiot got out there. The more yeah. he was able to speak, the more interviews he did. When he went yep. on Bill Maher, his whole shtick fell apart like the house of cards that it was. And he was exposed as a con man and a charlatan. And it was just like because the more opportunity those people get to make fools of themselves. And I understand, you know, because that one in particular, when Milo went on real time with Bill Maher, Jeremy Scahill, who's one of my favorite reporters, writers, commentators, one of the guys who founded The Intercept, I don't agree with him on everything politically. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with me on everything politically, but I have tons of respect for him and his work. 
he was a regular contributor at one time to Bill Maher's show and often went on as a pundit. And he was scheduled to, to be on the same episode as Milo. And when Milo got announced, he pulled out and made a big statement about, you know, don't want to give a platform to this dude. It's a bridge too far, this and that and the other. Meanwhile, Larry Wilmore, who is another commentator and he's liberal and, and he's, uh, you know, had this amazing career in television, super intelligent, super charismatic. He went on the show. And he manhandled that dude. <laughs> he, just, he just went on and verbally smacked Milo across the face a bunch of times and exposed him as the clown that he was. And it wasn't long after that when, you know, the more exposure that dude got. And just kind of using him as a case study where it's like, defeat the bad ideas with better ideas. Out-debate the ideas. Out-argue the ideas. But let the ideas flourish and fluctuate. And, I mean, don't even get me started on comedy, right? It's like... That's their art form. Uh, Let them get yeah. on the stage and work out. People are going to say the wrong thing. Let it happen. Let it just, yeah. you know, I don't know. It, it, it's speech is, is so important to me that I, I find it really sinister and scary. The idea of limiting it anywhere, because like you said, yeah. you, can, you can, you can think that you can think less of me for whatever reason, if you aren't, aggressive towards me yeah. or in infringing on anything that I'm trying to do. Bingo. Who, I, why that do, why do I care? That's your that's, that should be a simple thing. And this is why I try to get to understand. This is why I don't get so bent out of shape about some of this stuff. Like, Oh, so it's so said. And I start said this and people get offended on my behalf. Like, how could you not be offended? It's cause I don't care. Like, it's like, whatever, man. Like I'm not going to clutch my pearls at this is, you know, it's funny. You know, we talk about, Lawar op-ed that I did, mm -hmm. and you know, in the beginning, I talked about how, you know, I'm I'm, I'm getting included in all of these. Uh, oh right, everybody support black artists. Here's, yeah, here's black one. artists. Yeah, and it wasn't until it got to me where you got some pushback, and the guy's like, "This guy's an ancap. Take him down. Like delete." <laughs> he see, he literally says, "Delete him. Yeah, delete right. him off the list." Yeah, and it's like, see, this is what I'm talking Thought about. Police. With Thought police. Yeah. I, th I thought this was about race. I thought I thought we were propping up uh, black, black artists. Yeah, yeah. Just I, not I, that I, voice though. Not his. <laughs> yeah, it's like no. Just the, it's the black voice that 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 has the certain politic that yeah. I like. And, that, you, that's and, the... and, and you know what that is too is that's that soft racism of paternalism. And oh, I've absolutely. Seen, and I've been seeing a lot of that over the last few days, which is mind blowing. But a lot of. Yeah. uh oh, I got an email from somebody today saying it was a, a management company in our space saying that they're going to start offering free management advice to people of color who are in bands and it's like uh, <laughs> that's insulting man like exactly like, that's insulting like i'm being completely honest that that and i've seen all these brands and stuff do this stuff and they're like that's insulting man it's paternalism like, right saying it's, that it's... you are superior to everybody yes. else and 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 the black man's world can't move this is patronizing it's it's, it's insulting as it can get because you're saying that they world can't move unless you move it for them mm -hmm. and and i think way more highly of people uh that are that are black than they and this is why i don't i don't participate now like i don't need no acceptance or, or, or anything like that. If you're a good dude, be a good dude, and that's it. Like, let me just let me let me flourish. Let me be great. I don't want no no all because you feel sorry for me. You want to pat someone on the head. You reach out and then extend your arm, and then just like that's insulting, man. Because it 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 what it does is it actually perpetuates this idea that you guys feel as if you're superior, and it is literal racism because mm -hmm. you feel as if you're you 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 have these ideas 
uh, as far as who we are and you feel as if we can't do what it is that we can do unless you help us, mm-hmm. unless you assist us. Mm-hmm. And I, that that's literal racism just because you think you're well intended does not mean that it is not racist. It absolutely is, is racist because you're applying a set of traits and attributes to people and then you make an assumption of whether it be superiority or inferiority based on the race. That's literal textbook racism. Just because you're no one doing it and you think you have a good heart and you're well intended does not mean that it's not racist. It absolutely is racist and it's insulting. It's insulting. I, I wouldn't take something like that. And you know, I've had people reach out to me and like this, like this, like no, no, like dude, if you're reaching out to me just because you're trying to check a <laughs> check a box, right? Keep that. Keep that. Like, if it ain't authentic, keep that. I don't want to know, well, we're trying to do this for black people. Therefore, here you go. Like, no, no, no. That's insulting. I don't want it. Yeah. And, um, and you want to do something for you, do something for everyone and, and get rid of the state. Because the state yeah, is, that, has the power the, to enforce about, and take and limit and destroy. But yeah, if you want to talk about who's detrimental to 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 black folks um, and, you know, when we talk about the uh, we already mentioned all the history of the you know state endorsed racism, but you know even the stuff that happens now with the drug law, drug drug war, and stuff like that. If we want to get into that, like that should be the primary point. But unfortunately, when it comes to what all of what's going down in the world right now, people are miss miss uh, like the solution isn't really being applied. Even with the, I, I was doing some digging on this whole quote unquote defund the police, and it's not necessarily people like if you gotta say. It's defund the police doesn't really mean defund. It, like <laughs> if you gotta say that, then why did you even try to? It's a bait and switch, man. It's a bait. you think I'm I'm an ad cap? I'm like oh, defund the sounds like a fantastic idea. People get to keep more money in in their pockets now. Like oh that sounds like a fantastic. Then I look into it. I'm hearing what people that say they're like, no, we're just gonna create a new Walker police, and we're gonna reroute funds to all of these different inefficient programs so wait wait a minute that's not that's not what i agreed to that's not actually because again these people don't recognize the actual state as the issue they want they want that to that institution to exist they just feel like they can use it better they can use it uh uh more appropriately it can benefit more people if they use it in the manner that 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 they want to use it in instead of the manner that and that's just like the limiting right the limiting speech like one minute it's Okay, we're gonna we want to take speech away from this these terrible people and these terrible people. Okay, what happens when that switches to a different group of people? Yep. Because so many ideas that are accepted now as normal as they should have been were not acceptable at all sorts of other points in history. Yeah, people so, change, so what, man. So people what would change. Happened if back then those things were. Squashed yeah, exactly. You, were, you know, that's perfectly. That's actually perf- perfectly put. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is why I talk about state power all the time. It's like if you you got to think you you shouldn't think in terms of like when we talk about presidencies and uh, executive orders. It's funny how I saw the you know a lot of you know mainstream leftists get all hyped up, more so mad at the executive orders that Donald Trump was passing. I was like, y'all set the scene for that for the last mm-hmm. eight years. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what happens, man. You can't just think of it in terms of the guy that's on your side doing using that power. You got to look at power, state power, through the lens of what if the wrong guy gets it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you and you, yeah. The the Patriot Act, everybody was all for it. Yep. It was like, well, protect me from Al Qaeda. Yep. But then when people realized, oh wait a minute, the government's reading my sexting with <laughs> whatever or whatever, you know, like. 
Yeah, that's that's such a great way to put it, man. That's such a great way to put it. Like, you got to think about what's it like. The worst case scenario of what are those yep. tools like in the wrong hands. And yeah, and it was when you think about all the ways the power of the presidency was expanded under W due mm. to the so-called war on terror, and then hope and change. He didn't roll any of that back. He said, "Thanks no, for that. Thanks for all. that power of the pen. I'm gonna, uh, you know." And all the wars that Obama was going to end. And then Trump comes along and he's like, I'm an outsider. I'm a rabble rouser. I'm going to shake it up. You know, Hillary's a warmonger. She's going to keep all those Bush and Obama wars going. I'm going to end them. Here we are. Dude's been in office four years. I'm sorry. Which wars? Are over? It's the, yeah, sa yeah, the yeah, same system as rolling like that. Obama literally bombed more countries than Bush. Mm -hmm. Like, cause he bombed the countries Bush bombed and then he bombed additional countries, mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. So it's, that's how it is. It expands. It has a nature to expand and you cannot look at it through the lens of my guy has it. It's going to be all good. You have right. to look at it through the lens of, okay, if the, it's the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. if the guy that I don't like, the guy that I fear gets a control of this power, like here you are. Let's yeah. seeing it with Trump. People are upset, butthurt at everything this man does. And I'm like, y'all been off. Y'all set the scene for this for the last mm -hmm. eight years. And before that, same thing. So and, and because get, the guy you liked was doing it. Yep. Now, it was okay. now we have the racist, misogynist, con man, you know, moron <laughs> yeah. sitting there. And he's got all the power that the establishment Republicans happily handed to W. And that so-called progressives and liberals happily handed to Obama. Yep. And yeah, now we have the worst case scenario in office with all of the power that both parties happily handed up the latter. Well, dude, well, that's probably a good place to wrap. I got to have you. It's so funny because we didn't even talk about the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, well, I mean, I we kind of did. Again, we could talk about we could talk about him. I knew I knew I wanted to politic because I knew that this, that was. Yeah. And honestly, it all—that's my it thing too. Over, so, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I haven't done it before on on this thing. And it's uh, like I said, I'm you know I've got my group chats with my close friends, and there's the one with the libertarian leaning, and then there's the one that's super left, and I'm in the I'm with my leftist buddies, and they think that I'm the right wing conservative, and then I'm with my <laughs> libertarian leaning friends, and they think that I'm liberal, and yeah. it, it's it's nice. I'm glad that your voice is out there, and. Uh, you know, I've had, uh, in 20 some episodes of doing the podcast, I've had, a, you know, a transgender woman, a queer black man, you know, a lesbian, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, I didn't seek you out to have a black voice this week. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. the liberals are telling me to do, but <laughs> I will say it is prescient and timely and some nice serendipity yeah. to discover you via that op-ed and 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 have you on the podcast and hear this whole side and like i said i'm was really excited to discover your work and what you're doing and to contact you because i was literally just so amazed to see how much synergy because part of doing this podcast and part of the fun of it has been talking to people that i don't agree with or have the same experiences or i mean you know i had I've had two different women on the podcast who literally talk about seeing and talking to ghosts. 
and that's not on my radar. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't believe I've ever seen a ghost, let alone regularly talked with them. <laughs> but I'm open to hearing about those experiences. I like learning yeah. from people, and from a libertarian standpoint, it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Yep. There you go. Hang out. You go. Hang out in your house and talk to ghosts all day. It's got no. If you're going to bust into my house and start shooting the place up because you think there's ghosts here, then there's a problem. But yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's perfectly put. So, well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. No prize from God. Thank you're, you so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. And you know what? As a Marvel Comics dude, you might be the first guest who even understands the name of the podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eric. I'm happy to make a new friend. Um, and uh, yeah, come back anytime. We'll, we'll figure that out at some point. I'll let you know when this goes up and all that and get you all the appropriate linkage. But um, all right. yeah, man. No, be, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah.